Hello and welcome to the latest Science Walk podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Linda Flanagan. So Linda is a freelance journalist, author and researcher and her previous life was a cross-country and track and field coach. Linda's recently released a book called Take Back the Game, How Money and Mania Are Ruining Kids' Sports. So who better today to discuss issues in youth development and how we can improve them than Linda? So without further ado, it's time to welcome Linda onto the show. So Linda, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Thank you very much for joining us. So can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yes. Uh, well, I've been a longtime cross-country and track coach at a high, the high school level here in New Jersey and the U.S. And I've also been a writer during that time, and I've been working on a book on youth sports. And uh, I'm also an athlete myself and the mother of an athlete and two not-so-interested uh, athletes. So I've got an interest, uh, varied perspective on the issues in sports. I can imagine. So from, from the coach's side, then obviously you've got like some, some skin in the game, you know, what's going on in terms of coaching. Um, what yes. the, what the issues that you see as a, as a coach in terms of youth development? Are there, is there like a huge gap between the science and the, 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 uh, people who are just giving yeah. those, those, uh, youth development sessions? Or is yeah. it just a complete <clears throat> chaos of events where there's parents involved, there's coaches involved, and they're all kind of contributing to this malaise yes. of, of uselessness? Yes. Well, <laughs> malaise <laughs> of uselessness. Yeah. I mean, chaos is probably the right word for it. I mean, first of all, at least in the U.S., coaches are not well-trained. I mean, few youth coaches get any training at all. So, you know, there's a real disconnect between what kids need developmentally and what they're getting. Um, you know, so there's a, especially if you're a volunteer coach. I mean, you know, you don't know anything. When, when I was a volunteer coach, it's like, okay, I signed up and I went and I did it and I did the best I could. And that's often all they can do because... A lot of people don't want to step up to volunteer, so you do the best you can. But as a result, you know, there's a big disconnect between what kids need and what they're getting. And then you have the parents who seem to know everything, uh, or many of them think they do, and, you know, that's another issue for coaches. And what, what do those issues then lead to? So obviously for the, um, for the kids, it might not be optimal in terms of their physical development, but these, these issues, what are they, what are they leading yeah. to in terms of the actual development of those kids? Well, I mean, a lot of kids, for one, are quitting, uh, quitting sports because it's not fun, because, you know, the adults have taken over so much that, um, you know, I've seen it so many times I, um, as, as a, on the sidelines with like the parents talking to the coach as if the child is, you know, like the third party extra in the whole thing rather than the one who should be kind of determining what's happening. So it's, you know, a lot of kids, it's either it's too, it's too intense much of the time. And in which case they often quit if they don't enjoy it or their conflicts with coaches and parents. I mean, all, all coaches know this. It's like, you know, it's common knowledge, but that conflict with coaches and parents is also is often um, you know has a hard effect on kids too. It's not fun for them when they're too big. The principal adults in their life don't get along. You know? And and what kind of statistics are there in terms of dropout? Because that sounds really interesting, right? When you're like, oh yeah, well, the potentially the the coaches and parents don't see eye to eye, or it's not fun. But have you got any statistics which can can put that into perspective for us? 
You know, I, I at the top, off the top of my head, I don't. But I believe it's something like 70% of kids quit youth sports by 13. That's ridiculous. 13, Isn't that, that's in the US. Oh. Yeah. I mean, it's very, it's, there's a huge drop off because it also, it's too serious at a young age for many kids because we've made everything so serious here. You know, one of the questions you'd asked in advance was, um, what are the key issues we're seeing in youth sports? And, and one, it's, it's really, in my view, is like two main things. On, at one level, it's, there's a, a lack of participation, a lack of engagement and opportunities in sports for, based on income. So low-income kids are kept out. And on the other, it's like too intense, too much, this, early, this focus on specializing early, picking a sport, going all in, and playing a lot of the year, um, which, you know, it's like this feast or famine kind of situation, which has, there are two separate kinds of problems, but the effect is that not enough kids are playing and enjoying sports. So when, when you talk about those two issues, what, what do you think are the things that we can do to uh, improve those situations? Obviously, it's, it's difficult to just give people loads of money and say, okay, well, now you kids can do sport because maybe they'll spend that on other stuff. So how, yeah. can, how can society as a whole improve that situation? I know. Well, you know, it's like one of these grand problems that takes, you know, to really do it right, it would take like some kind of systemic change. But, you know, that's not going to happen most likely or it's going to happen incrementally. So I think, you know, I feel like parents and coaches need to feel somewhat empowered themselves to, you know, try to do the right thing for their kids or for their team, even without kind of some major reform going through. you got to start somewhere. And I think, you know, as a parent, it's, you know, it's recognizing that you can be part of the problem if, you know, you're taking it too seriously, if it's taken over your life, if your kids' sports have become your life. Then that's you know not great. Um, and as a coach, I think you know there's need to be a little self awareness. I mean, I I've been a coach. I know how um, how when the team doesn't perform well, it can feel like ooh, yikes, a kind of a referendum on you as a coach and maybe your abilities and your ego can ego can get bound up in how the team does. And I think it would be helpful for us coaches to kind of be aware of that and to try to find ways to protect our teams from our own, you know, worse instincts. And how do you think coaches can do that? Right. So I can imagine at the top level, you've got, um, you've got coaches who are paid millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. Those people need to be making the right yes. decisions and winning games. Yes. So that's, that's clear, right? Yes. But of if you, if you just down the park, with, yeah. uh, with other kids <laughs> like there's different so what what can coaches do to to stop that from from becoming a thing well i mean i think first of all you have to be sure you're coaching for a league or a program that doesn't that has the right emphasis that has the you know for especially for young kids that the emphasis is on development fun because if it's not fun kids aren't going to want to play i mean if it's this if you take the approach of being a drill instructor when the kids are like eight, nine years old, it's not going to work out well for the kids. So um, if you, you have to align yourself with a program that has the values that you want to encourage that to begin with, or it's going to be a losing proposition. Uh, but once you are aligned with that, then, um, you know, recognize what's important. It's about making a connection with the kids, encouraging um, what's fun about the sport and, um, always keeping the long-term in 
perspective in mind, which is incredibly hard because it's always about how are we doing today and, you know, not getting your ego tied up in how the team does. And if you can kind of keep the long-term perspective or remind yourself that it's really not about the outcome of this game for eight-year-olds. It's about developing the child so that they can want to continue to play. And I mean, that's not easy necessarily. I can imagine it's, it's really difficult for some parents who are super enthusiastic and they think, oh yeah, my kid's going to go to the, the NBA or NFL or whatever it might be. Yes. But what can they do in terms of um, focusing their goals differently then to, to make sure that development is is the key goal? Like, do, do they need to take a step back and, and reassess the how their uh, how their 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 own KPIs are, are put in there? They're like, right, we won the league this year, so that makes me a good coach. I mean, yeah. obviously, that's that's not a child focused environment. So, what kind of stuff yeah. should those people be focusing on in terms of goals? Well, I mean, you have to, again, you have to be aligned with what the league is about. So, like, if you're winning, but you're doing it right, great. I mean. It's not like encouraging sports to be fun for kids means, by definition, having a crappy team and being just focusing on kumbaya and having fun. It's about coaching with um, enthusiasm and keeping things in the proper perspective. Um, I think I think it's really important for coaches to be educated. I think that can help with some of this stuff because, as I said, most coaches don't get any training at all, and if they if they did get a little training, if they took steps to educate themselves, I mean, there's so many online things you can learn about, you know, getting more performance and being a, a kinder coach. Um, you know, I think one thing many coaches probably don't realize is that the science does not support the idea that yelling and screaming at kids is get is conducive to a good outcome. It doesn't like in, improve performance. To me, it's like a, the default mode you adopt when you don't know what else to do. But, you know, I think if, if coaches know that, look, look, this isn't successful. It's just it'll, I'm just being frustrated here. Um, I always remember uh, what one of my dog trainers said years ago to us. When we had a German Shepherd puppy. And he said, don't yell at your dog. When your dog doesn't behave or listen, it's not because he can't hear you. It's because he's not listening to you. I thought hmm, that's that's a good bit of, bit of wisdom to apply to other parts of life yeah i can imagine if the if you've not got the kids attention and they're messing around and it's frustrating because you want to make sure that everyone's getting their their fair share of uh, the ball or whatever then i can imagine yeah. that's frustrating but yeah how, how does an eight-year-old feel about getting shouted at in their in their free time right like if they, yeah. they didn't do the homework or didn't clean the room or whatever i can i can understand that parents get frustrated and maybe that comes uh, to the fore but when they're in their free time enjoying sports then yeah like yes. is, is it necessary well i mean it would be better for all concerned i think if parents took a step back from it you know and they I mean, I know some even watch practices like don't go don't go watch practices. Don't like let the coach do his or her job and, you know, keep an eye on the coach. Be sure it's all like all is healthy and safe at practice. But you don't it's it's really not conducive to um, your child's enjoyment when you get too involved as a parent. I mean, I mean, I think everyone knows this. It's just hard to, to actually do it. It's hard to step back. And keep perspective. 
And what, where do you think that line should be drawn then? So um, if you say, oh, like parents don't need to go to practice necessarily, I can imagine a lot of kids would think, oh, yeah, well, I want my mum or dad there. So where, where do you think we should draw that line between getting too involved and taking a step back and, and potentially seeming disinterested? Yeah, well, I mean, I think kids know if you're interested, you can take an interest in what they're doing without hovering on the sidelines. I mean, all things being equal, I, I mean, I wouldn't go to any practices. Just, And I, I also speak as a high school coach because, you know, at high school level, parents don't come. And if they did, that would be weird and certainly <laughs> discouraged or like prohibited. But, you know, I, I think even at the at the younger levels, even going to all the games isn't necessarily good for the kids, in part because it's a reminder to us parents that this is their activity. Like the kids should be doing this because they like the sport, because they want to do it, not because it's gratifying to us to see them out there kicking, kicking the ball or, you know, catching ground or fielding grounders. It's, it's their thing. So there is some kind of balance between showing an interest asking questions, playing with them some, but not being constantly, a constant hovering presence. You know, that's a fine, I think most parents can probably recognize themselves when they're a little too, you know, a little too involved. And what about the situation where the, the coach is the parent? So I can imagine, especially at younger levels, that happens quite a lot, right? So you've yes. got a, an interested yeah. parent who's like, no, go on then, I'll take it. Um, yes. and, and they, and they get fully involved in it and they're not technically a coach potentially, but they, they are interested. So in that situation where you are both a coach and a parent, how do you ensure that there's some kind of balance there? Because that, that sounds really tough. Uh, well, it is really tough. And I, uh, you know, I can think of some cringeworthy moments of things I did when I was a coach parent that like, in retrospect, it's kind of horrifying. Um, if you've got stories you want to share, then you're more than welcome. But if not, okay. that's not go. <laughs> no, no. Okay, so it was one time I was sub, like substitute coaching for my son's basketball team. I mean, he was like eight or nine years old, and we were at this game, and everyone was in the stands cheering. It seemed important, and it was you know you have to have allow at this rec league low level game. Everyone, all the kids had to be allowed to play equal amount of time. And, you know, which of course they should be. That's totally fair and appropriate. These are developmental rec programs. But in overtime, you could put in, you didn't have to follow those rules. And it was like, it was tie game and it was overtime. And this little boy came up to me and he had like cocker spaniel eyes. And he was so little brown hair and so cute. And he was incredibly unathletic. And I was sending in the good players to play. And he came up to me and said, coach, can I play? <laughs> I looked him in the eyes and I said, nope. <laughs> Absolute <laughs> Which trailer. was so wrong. It was so wrong. <laughs> so, I mean, I think I do recognize how hard that is. But this is even being conscious of the fact that, okay, I need to remind myself that in the, in the heat of the moment, in this emotional third grade basketball game, I need to step back. I think even just having that awareness that you might go down that road is going to be helpful. And, you know, if you have a partner or somebody, either a husband or wife or whatever, to help you, um, you know, keep your wits about you so you're not doing crazy things like that, it, you know, that's the all you can do to kind of 
to not end up telling the boy with the cocker spaniel eyes that he can't play in a third grade league. Yeah. So when when we look at that as a whole, right, obviously we want coaches and parents to understand those situations uh, a little bit better. What kind of advice would you then give to coaches and parents in terms of making sure that there are behaviors as appropriate as possible for youth development? Well, I think um, for one thing, to to mitigate the um, conflict between parents and coaches, which can exist at all levels. And I mean, I hate to say this, but I really think that there needs to be paper. Coaches need to hand out some kind of um, agreements, like I hate to call them contracts, but sort of like contracts, like I agree that I will not shriek at the referee. I will keep my mouth shut. I will not um, interfere. Like I think parents, coaches need to communicate with parents what the values are and then have them commit to it um, in writing ahead of time. Like the, the best way to offset the conflict is communication. Like coaches need to communicate, communicate, over-communicate and have parents sign forms, codes of conduct, agree to certain codes of conduct so that they don't go crazy on the sidelines. And, um, and also so that they understand that this is a developmental program if, if it is about we're, we're not here to create Olympic champions, we are here to develop an interest and enthusiasm for sport among young kids. We have it in writing. We all agree to this. OK, so it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a protection for the coach and for the parent. Like we all know what we're doing here. So chill. <laughs> I can completely agree with that. And in terms of like that multi-sport background that you, you, you uh, alluded to earlier, what what can parents do in terms of giving their kids more and varied sports as opposed to yeah. just doing one thing potentially? So are there, are there any little tips and tricks you can recommend there? Well, I mean, I think I, in my book I talk about how, you know, sometimes you just have to say no to some of the requests or slash demands of some of the programs. I mean, if, if you're – if you're – want your child to be competitive or your child wants to be competitive, um, even at a youngish age, first of all, avoid specializing. And if they have two seasons of play, if they insist, say, in, in my town, you have to play both fall and spring soccer, mandatory. Well, you know, you can just not do it. Just not do the spring soccer and say, it doesn't work for our family. Now, there may be penalties associated with that. But I think, you know, you have to remember what you're trying to do here with your kids in sports and think parents need to push back a little bit against some of the demands and say, we're not doing this. Maybe organize with other parents so that um, they can speak with a uh, larger voice about this is what we want as a family or as a group. You don't want to have spring soccer and, and games along, you know, that follow baseball games, you know, where I live, baseball season, and a lot of kids do both. And so I, I just think there has to be, it's got to start somewhere and parents need to start pushing back against some of the craziness and then organize if they need to, if, if it's possible to put some limits on it. And then if that doesn't work, find another club or just stick with rec. There's no simple, you know, great solution, but it is going to take some efforts on the part of parents to resist. 
And just before we, we wrap up, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the role of schools within this as well. So um, I'm fortunate to see things from, from two different perspectives. So the, the English perspective and the Dutch perspective, where in the UK, um, school teams are really normal. So after school, for example, you play for the school football team or rugby team or whatever. Um, in the Netherlands, that doesn't happen. That's all done through clubs. So mm-hmm. how, how does that look in the USA in terms of um, schools being able to provide some kind of uh, yeah. lessons and resources for the kids? Well, it's been, it's historically sports have been attached to schools in the U.S. They're, the club stuff that um, you have in the Netherlands is not the, the the norm here. It's not, you know, the, the community-based clubs like you have where kids go after school and the clubs. Historically here, it's all based in the school, which ha- is, is good in a lot of ways because um, then everyone has access. You know, it's not based on income, who can play and who can't. Trouble here with our school sports is that they really only serve a, s- a fairly small percentage of the kids. Because like on a basketball team, they have like 10 or 11 kids for the whole team. So, you know, in a, in a decent-sized high school or secondary school, that's going to leave most kids out. So, I mean, school sports are part of the solution here, even as club private club teams that are expensive and exclusive um, weave out so many kids. It, it seems to me the answer to some of these problems is, is um, repairing what we, what we offer, offering more in schools, trying to reach more kids in schools. You know, just doubling down on some of some of what we've done already, and to try to reach more kids. And when when it comes to obviously budgets for that, so like someone's going to have to pay for that eventually. Um, do you think that the the government needs to step in at some point and say, look, we we insist that you offer multiple teams for example we we want you to run a, a casual league it doesn't have to be professional mm-hmm. stuff and going on to college level but we want you to give um 13 to 16 year olds whatever at that dropout age mm-hmm. we want to give them more options so that dropping out is more difficult like is, mm-hmm. is there a space for that somewhere do you think well you know if you so the government already does pay for you know public public schools, which includes teams. So it's not as if they're not already paying for um, a lot of the sports already on offer. I mean, although there's been less funding for them and some here anyway, a lot of families have to pay um, their fees associated with sports. But if you, if you consider um, movement and exercise a part of education, you know, that it's not some separate universe of skills or knowledge or ability that a kid has, but is actually conducive to learning and growth and development and health. If, if you if you consider that sports and physical education are part of a, a holistic education, then it's perfectly appropriate that schools should pay for this, and you know, by taxpayers should be paying for this as they already are. But you know, to continue paying and enhance it, and, you know, I'm not saying like triple the budgets, but I think schools can do a better job. And I think most schools probably agree with that. It's just a matter of being creative about how they allocate their funds. I think that's a, a really good way to leave things as well, because it gives a, a really nice perspective on uh, what could be done at a governmental level, at least. So, Linda, massive thanks for your time and effort. Before we finish up, can you give us a quick more information about your book, which is coming, which is already sure. out? 
It's um, out. What, yep. it, what it contains? Yes. Yeah, so my book is called Take Back the Game, How Money and Mania Are Ruining Kids' Sports and Why It Matters. And in the book, I talk about um, how we got here, what, what the state of play is, at least in the U.S., where, it's, as I said, it's this like feast or famine, too much or too little, how we got to that, you know, and what the changes that have occurred over the last, say, 25 years that put us in this position. And in the middle, I also talk about some of the myths of sports and how because of where we are now, where sports are either so serious or there's nothing at all, we've kind of ruined some of the things we like about sports, you know, um, in terms of like character development, health, mental health, all these wonderful things that sports can do. We've uh, undermined that, the way we approach them. So I have a few chapters on that. And then then the last third is about solutions, what parents can do, what coaches can do, and what, you know, we can do more culturally to kind of address some of these things. Absolutely excellent. So Linda Master, thanks for your time and effort today. It's been a pleasure talking and uh, I look forward to talking again soon. Okay, sounds good. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cheers. And that's it once again. A massive thanks to Linda for all of her hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it and I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I would like to point you in the direction of the Coach Academy. The Coach Academy is a series of lectures broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to get some more information about youth development, all you have to do is get into the Coach Academy completely for free using the link in the show notes. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it would be fantastic if you could recommend us to a coach, an athlete, a colleague or a friend. That means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport and I'll speak to you next week.